Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 40, from the message. Then, when the days stipulated by Moses for purification were complete, they took him up to Jerusalem to offer him to God as commanded in God's law. Every male who opens the womb shall be a holy offering to God, and also to sacrifice the pair of doves or two young pigeons, prescribed in God's law. In Jerusalem Jerusalem at the time, there was a man, Simeon by name, a good man, a man who lived in the prayerful expectancy of help for Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. The Holy Spirit had shown him that he would see the Messiah of God before he died. Led by the Spirit, he entered the temple. As the parents of the child Jesus brought him in to carry out the rituals of the law, Simeon took him into his arms and blessed God. God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace as you promised. With my own eyes, I've seen your salvation. It's now out in the open for everyone to see. A God-revealing light to the non-Jewish nations, and of glory for your people Israel. Jesus' father and mother were speechless with surprise at these words. Simeon went on to bless them and said to Mary, his mother, This child marks both the failure and the recovery of many in Israel. A figure misunderstood and contradicted. The pain of a sword thrust through you. But the rejection will force honesty, and God reveals who they really are. Anna, the prophetess, was also there, a daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher. She was by now a very old woman. She had been married seven years and a widow of 84. She never left the temple area, worshipping night and day with her fastings and prayers. At the very time Simeon was praying, she showed up, broke into an anthem of praise to God, and talked about the child to all who were waiting expectantly for freeing of Jerusalem. When they finished everything required by God in the law, they returned to Galilee and their own town, Nazareth. There the child grew strong in body and wise in spirit, and the grace of God was on him. Let us pray. Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasant in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. This is the last of the Christmas stories. There's the kings (laughs) next week. But we have Luke and we have Matthew. Today we're in Luke. And so this is the ending of the Christmas story in Luke today with um, Simeon and Anna in the temple. The mad dash of Christmas excitement. It's already starting to feel, after all the buildup of Advent and some really wonderful Christmas Eve experiences here and our Christmas days with our families. Well, there's always kind of a little letdown that happens. And we're going to talk today, I want to talk today, about how to alleviate that letdown and remember how to, how to keep that in our, how to keep Christmas in our hearts on an ongoing basis. So we have a very interesting story today. One that we hear, but for some reason, for me at least, doesn't really stick in my mind, the story of Simeon and Anna and the temple. And so um, it's, it's a prescribed for the, for the second electionary year. This is the story we hear. So they, they leave Bethlehem and go to Jerusalem, which isn't that far away. It's nothing like the, Nazar- the Nazareth to Bethlehem trip. And they go to the temple because... 
they need to present Jesus as a, as a Jewish boy to the priests and to make an offering of, I think it's uh, two turtle doves or something. No, or is that the song? <laughs> two doves. <laughs> the stuff that sticks in your mind. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph have a civil responsibility and a faith responsibility combined in the Luke story. The civil responsibility is going to do the census thing. Okay, Mary, hop on the donkey. Here we go for days and days to get to do our civil responsibility. And it takes so long that there's no place for them to stay, so they have to stay out in the stable or a cave or a small outside house, depending on which scholar you you listen to. And uh, they had nowhere to lay Jesus down but in the feeding trough, the manger. So they have a so their civil responsibility caused this trip, and it happened to work out nice with the Old Testament um, discussion of the Messiah being coming from Bethlehem. But they also have a faith responsibility, which is what this story is today. Um, in in the verses right before this, they talk about Jesus' um, circumcision, but that happens when he's eight days old. This story, and it's not really c- clear. But this story happens when he's either, depending on the scholar you read, either 33 or 40 days old. So this is a few weeks later. And, um, and so this is their faith responsibility to bring him to be presented. And I, in my research, I couldn't get a full idea of exactly what that meant. But it's, it, if, it's different. But it's the same kind. I think of Mary and Joseph coming into the temple in the same way that when um, we brought, when we bring our children to be baptized, that feeling, that expectation of an important step in the foundation of the, the child's, the baby's faith. So, so we got to think of Joseph and Mary as feeling that way. Also, they are from Nazareth, as is stated more than once in the Gospels, no, a nowhere land, a little teeny town and that no one cares about. And here they go to Bethlehem, which is a, a bigger town, but it's town. And now they're in Jerusalem, the center of the universe, as far as the Israelites are concerned. And they go to the temple. Now, just a small reminder, this is a major place. It's the center of the universe in Jerusalem. For, most of, for centuries, it was believed that God lived in the temple. Okay. At the time of Jesus, that, that thought had left a little bit, that God was everywhere. But for a long time, the temple was where God dwelt. The movement of Moses through, um, um, from the Exodus and moving in the tent, and continue, that was moving God and the Ark of the Covenant, etc. So we have, and it's, a, it's, it's Jesus 30 years later from this story, knocks down the trading tables and such. This is a major place of commerce. It's humongous. It's large. There are places where everybody can go outside of the temple. There's a large courtyard where um, just the Jewish folks can go. Then inside is where men and women can be. And then there's a place inside of that where just men can be. And then there's the Holy of Holies where only the priests go. This is a major area of commerce. It's crowded. It's not like Mary and Joseph are coming into a quiet quiet temple. They're coming into a huge busyness with lots of people with a constant commerce and business and worship all the time. I think we need to hold that in our minds of what this place was that they were coming into with the baby. 
And Luke is um, very interesting because he always has contrasts. All through Luke, you get this, but that. And this, but that. And he first narrates this faithfulness of the family and, his orthodox, and the orthodox upbringing. And in just a few verses after this in Luke, which we won't hear about next week because we go to Matthew and the Kings, Jesus' temple presence, he's 12 years old, in four verses. Four verses later, he's 12. He's 30 days now. Four verses later, he's 12. And he has escaped his parents and worried them to death. And he's 12 years old and talking in the temple. So it's, it's a contrast between the infant being presented and the, and the rabbi and the future um, teacher learning and teaching the priests. <clears throat> Christmas stories... And this kind of also reminds me of the Christmas stories and their confusion. We blend them together right here. This is a blend of Luke and Matthew. There's no kings or Egypt, escape to Egypt in Luke. And there's no shepherds or angels singing to shepherds in Matthew. In Matthew, they go to Egypt. Here, as, as uh, Zach read, they just return to Nazareth when they're done. But while they're at the temple, they encounter two very interesting people. Uh, Simeon, old, old man. He's constantly around the temple, not always. We'll talk about Anna in a minute. She's always there. But Simeon, he's a den- I think of him as a denizen of the temple life, this, this huge conglomeration that I just spoke about. And he's, uh, we would probably think he's a little wacky, Okay. And he's been waiting all his life. He was promised that before he died, he would see the Messiah. And so he's been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And here comes Mary and Joseph with baby Jesus. And he takes the baby, holds him aloft, and and says words about the glory of God is now here in the world. It is for Israel, the saving of Israel and the savior of the whole world. So right here is the first glimpse we get um, from human beings. Uh, Gabriel talked to Mary, but of, of human beings, all human beings, having Jesus available to them for salvation. And that's very important. But then he looks into Mary's eyes and he sees other things. He sees, he sees the future. And he talks to her about what her sadness is going to be and this is going to have a sword thrust through her heart in pain. So his, part of his song is that he can die now because he has seen this. And um, he didn't only exist in the temple, but he was always around. So, and, we, and of course, this is all we ever hear of him. Um, one of the things I read a lot in the commentaries that I was reading about this and I thought was very interesting that when he talked to Mary about the pain that she would experience well, many of the scholars and I too wonder how did he feel about that because I don't, it seems unexpected what he said to her about that um, it's talked about that he didn't say it until he saw her and her eyes Now then, there was another person who came along. Now, Anna was quite different from Simeon in that Anna existed in the temple all the time. And her age, she's not young. She was married seven years and a widow for 84. 
that's that's 90, what, one? <laughs> and that's from the time she got married. All right, so at least another 15. <laughs> so she was a very old woman. And she, we don't get to hear, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't get to hear what she had to say. But she was considered a prophetess. And she prophesied um, that peace on earth had arrived and this was the glory of God. And I, I wonder, how did, how did Mary and Joseph react to these two people? You know, their baby was removed, held aloft. This is he, this is he. Then an then a, a old woman and an old man are both lifting this up. Both have faithfully awaited the intrusion of a faithful God, both Anna and Simeon. And now both witness in person to the arrival of peace on earth. Mary keeps words in her heart. She kept these words in her heart. And remember when the angel came to her, she pondered these things, kept them in her heart. When she went to visit Elizabeth and and, uh, John the Baptist jumped for joy at her arrival, she kept these things in her heart. So we have a dichotomy here. And this is what I think this story can can give to us today, besides being an interesting story. So we have Mary, who has heard that this, was, this baby was going to be special. She knows it's a special baby because an angel came to her in person. Joseph's was a dream, but Mary had Gabriel there in person with her. And she, she listens, and she's a young girl too. She listens and holds these things and ponders them and lets them ruminate within her heart and her head. And then we have Anna and Simeon, who are proclamators. And this is great. This is wonderful. This is the savior of the world. And Mary holds that in her heart. And I think this is something for us to use. To keep this, we need to keep the joy of Anna and Simeon and that happiness about the birth of Jesus with us as we go and enter the next few months of cold and gray, and, and Christmas has passed and all the holidays are over. So I think we need to remember the joy of Anna, remember the joy of Simeon, who had waited, they had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for such a long time, and they are happy to proclaim to the whole temple area and to us thousands of years later that this is a wonderful thing. And Mary, but I think, our, I think pondering is also really important for us, too. Um, reading, teaching, uh, talking, all the things we do here to enhance our faith. But I think the rumination and our meditations, what does this mean to us? Does it have meaning to us? What, what does Jesus' birth mean to ourselves individually? What does this mean to me? And we need to ruminate on that and hold that in our hearts. In our daily lives as we go along, does this, this, what does this light of God mean to me? How can I be the light of God? How can I help others find that light? And if I believe our ruminations and our meditations on this and our prayers on this can help us when the opportunity arises for us to be the proclamators like Anna and Simeon. So I, th- I think we need to remember the ability we, we all have, we're all ministers, we are told that in the Gospels, 
to proclamate and say, this is wonderful. Jesus came to save the world. This is a wonderful and glorious thing. Thanks be to God. And we need to be able, in our prayers, and make a conscious effort in our daily lives. I've said that before from this place. We need to study. We need to pray. We need to interact and talk to each other about our faith. That's how our faith develops. And by developing our faith through uh, meditation and prayer on Jesus and his meaning to us, we can then better do the proclamation. So, let us, let's keep that joy, let's keep Christmas, let's keep, let's keep Christmas in our hearts. I've been watching, I watched five or six versions of A Christmas Carol over the past few weeks. Keep, let us keep Christmas. Even as the decorations come down at home probably next week, one more week of Christmas in here. Let's try to keep that Christmas in our hearts this year. Let's try very hard to keep that with us. Pray, meditate, and proclamate as needed. Amen.